You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Morning to those of you watching online, and thankful for those of you who are here gathered today. Uh, We are in week four of our series, Awesome God, and and I'll say this as we're talking about the names of God. We just sang uh, the song Yahweh, which uh, in the Old Testament, right? If you ever see the capital L O R D in the when you're reading the Old Testament, that's Yahweh. That's what that would translate to. We don't have any real good translation in the English, but it basically is is declaring the might and the power of the name of God, that he's mighty and that he's powerful. It was such a holy name that, that the, the Israelites wouldn't even use it. They wouldn't even say it. They, they would might write it. That was about it. But Elohim, Adonai, and Yahweh, that we were just singing, that he's holy, he's mighty, he's powerful. That's who he is. He's awesome. He's an awesome God. And that's what we're talking about in conjunction with uh, a lot of our Every Nation churches that are starting off their services the same way this year with this series, Awesome God. And we're talking about the names of God that reveal the character of God. That it's important that we know his name. That we think of the names of God as God's loving and practical way to allow us to know him more and to know him more intimately. Much like if you were to call me sir and I'd say, well, my name is Brent. You can call me Brent. God has a name. And he has a name so that we can know him more and that we can know him better. Yes, reverentially, yes, he is holy and he is, he is awesome. And yes, sir, but he is also God, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, El Roy, the things that we've been talking about. He has a name so we can know him personally. Before we get into more of this morning's text uh, and talking about the names of God, I want to take just a moment because I think it's important to recognize some people who have been putting in some hard work, and not just our worship team, I did recognize them, but some people have been putting in some hard work over the last few years in their ongoing uh, spiritual and theological growth. And in case you were unaware, we've been offering what we call equip classes. That's one of our points of connection in conjunction with what Ephesians 4.12 says, that we are to, the church is to equip the body of believers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That would be you if you've given your life to Jesus, whether you realize it or not. The Bible calls you a saint. That's good. That's better than being a sinner, right? So you were once a sinner, now made a saint through Jesus Christ. Not a New Orleans saint, but a saint saint, okay? So, and that's, you know, I'm sorry for you guys that are New Orleans Saints fans that lost last week. But that's just a side note. My team's been out of it a long time ago, so I'm just bitter. That's okay, all right? So we equip the body of believers to do the work of ministry. That's the point. And so we had a group of students that completed all the necessary requirements of reading, writing, homework, class attendance to earn two different certificates from Spurgeon College. One is in biblical studies and one is in theological studies. So I want to show you a picture of the graduating class. So yeah, let's give them a hand. Yes, thank you for that hand clap of encouragement that I led out with. Thank you. So, uh, I'm only there because I'm the pastor. (laughs) That's the only reason. I did not complete all of my studies there. Um, But let me mention this because it's important. Anybody and everybody can take these classes. You don't have to get a certificate. You don't have to get a master's degree. You can if you'd like. There are people that are going on to do that. I'll be doing that myself through Every Nation Seminary and other uh, partnerships that we have with Midwestern Seminary or Spurgeon College. You can do that. But the main thing we want you to 
to do is connect through the classes, whether you get a certificate or not, connect through the Bible studies, connect through serving, connect through all the ways that we have, and this is one of them. And why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why am I making such a big deal about this right now? Because here's the point. What you believe about God is going to affect how you live for God. What you believe about God that is true according to his word is going to affect how you live for God. And if you don't know who God is according to his word, then you can do things for God, you think, or in his name that have nothing to do with him. And so it's very important, much like the text in the story that we're going to look at today, if you do not know and trust the character of God, you won't live and follow the purposes of God. So we need to know. This is why our good theology informs good practice so that we know about God, know who he is, know him more intimately, know his name and what they mean, know his names and what they mean because they describe who he is so that we can trust him more. So let's turn to our Bible if we can. Our text this morning will be found in Genesis chapter 22. Last week we were in Genesis 16. We were starting a little bit with the story of Abraham and Sarah or at that time his name was Abram and Sarai and also the story of Hagar and how they were unfaithful to God and how Hagar took the punishment, if you will, for Abram and Sarai's unfaithfulness. So if you'll turn to that, we're going to look and continue in this story. But what we saw last week in Genesis 16 was Hagar, who was marginalized, mistreated, alone, and yet the name of God that we saw was El Roy, a God who sees. God saw her where she was. God is the God who sees us where we are. And God sought out Hagar just like he seeks you out and he finds you wherever you are and whatever you're going through. And not only do we witness a God who sees us and cares for us and loves us, but we also see a God who is able to bring redemption even in the midst of suffering. She was suffering and God was able to bring redemption in the middle of her suffering. And that's what we said. We serve a God, right, who sees what nobody else sees. And not just that, but also is able to do what no one else can. He sees what nobody else sees in your life. Everything might be hidden from somebody else, but God sees it. You might be going through things that nobody else knows that you're going through, but God sees it. And not only does he see you and care for you and love you, but he's able to bring redemption in the midst of your suffering and pain. That's how amazing and awesome God is. Well, let's fast forward a little bit from that part of Abraham and Sarah's narrative. And now we've come to this point in Genesis 22 where God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Sarah. He's fulfilled the promise how? By giving the birth of the promised child. Isaac. He's the child of promise. Now she's had Isaac. They've gotten received the promise. The promise has come. Now everything's going to be good, right? Wrong. It's not. It's a matter of fact things get actually even more difficult than they were in the past. The twist of the knife, if you will, is in episode 22 of the Netflix Bible original series about Abraham. I'm just kidding. It's not, that's not really it. So don't go searching for it. Incredibly, when Isaac was a young man, God tells Abraham to go and to sacrifice his only son, the heir of promise, the answer to everything they've been praying about. He says, go and sacrifice this one and only son. So let's start reading in verse 1 of chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, 
and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Can you imagine how long those three days must have lasted for Abraham? I know how we've talked about how things kind of seem very long for us. Man, it seems like this is taking forever. These three days must have felt like forever. Verse 5, then Abraham said to, the, to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, I want to point out a couple of things that we notice just in verse 2 as we start to unpack this a little bit. God said, take your son, then he emphasizes your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Well, why is there an emphasis here? Because if we are reading the story a few chapters before, we know this isn't his only son. We talked about Hagar and Ishmael. That's Abraham's son too. So why is he saying this is your only son? But here's what we see in this verse. And this is an amazing thing. Here's a clear type of Jesus being the only son of God. We see this right here in the narrative about Abraham and Isaac. The Greek word that we use in the New Testament helps us to clarify monogeneus, which means what? One of a kind. This might help us to understand what God is saying and why he called Isaac the one and only son. He wasn't the only son, but he was the son of promise, and he was one of a kind. He was the one of a kind son of promise that through him, the greater only son, whom God said that he loved and was well pleased with, would come and be the first of many sons and daughters, the Bible says. You just see the beauty of the gospel shining through right here in the narrative of Abraham and Sarah. Then in verse 4, the Bible says, Abraham saw from afar. They traveled three days and here they are and he's looking at this mountain, if you will, this little Mount Moriah that God's going to tell him to go to, this space where he's going to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham says he saw. It's the same root Hebrew word as Jireh or provider. It means will provide. And this is an interesting connection to show that God's nature is to see all things at all times for all time. In other words, he's not just El Roy who sees you where you are. And that's amazing. But aren't you glad that he's able to do what no other God can do? That he's able to do something in your life. So he doesn't just see you where you are. He also sees the provision that he has for you that you don't see yet. He already sees, he's already seen what he's going to do through Abraham and for Abraham. He not only sees the central problem in your life, but he also provides the solution. And all Abraham saw was a hill. All Abraham saw was the, the death of his promised son. He didn't have an idea of the significance of what he was about to do and what was about to happen. But God saw to the root and the depth of Abraham's situation and mine and your situation in the future as sinners. He saw down the corridor of time and he saw the cross on that same hill of Calvary. He saw and he provided. God's provision is God doing what no one else can. And it is linked to his seeing. When God sees, he doesn't just see the problem. He sees the solution. He sees the provision. He sees the answer. He sees the outcome. And all we usually see is the problem. We see the hill. We see the pain. We see the conflict. We see the dysfunction while God already sees the provision for us at the same time that he sees us on the other side. 
That's the God who sees. That's the God who provides. We can already see that Abraham's faith has changed from where it was and how he was just a few stories back, right? In Genesis 16 and even earlier on, Abraham's faith has changed. He's not doubting God. He's not questioning God. He's not taking matters into his own hand. His faith has been tested in the past. It's been tested in the the fire of failure. Aren't you glad that you serve a God who doesn't just take the failures of your life, but he refines you through the failures of your life, that I'm going to be changed even though I might have failed here, even though I wasn't faithful. God is faithful, and next time I'm going to know better, and I have grown through this, and I'm going to mature in my faithfulness to a faithful God. This is what's happened to Abraham. His faith now is at work. We go immediately into that verse, right, where he's just like, well, he gets up the next morning and he does what God said to do. Now, I don't know how that night's sleep was for him, but I can only imagine he's like, I trust you, God. I trust you, God. I've seen you do this before. I trust you, God. So he begins to follow God's direction. He obeys. He's not just saying he trusts God, but now he's being tested and he's proving that he trusts God through his actions. Anybody could say that they trust God. We've all been there. I trust God. Well, do you trust God in this brother? I trust God. Will you trust God in this situation? I trust God. And then all of a sudden, when we get into whatever it is that we need to trust God for, that's a little bit more difficult than we expected or lasted a little bit longer than we hoped, all of a sudden, it's our actions that speak louder than our words. Do we really trust the God that would call us to this place that we would not call ourselves to? And here's Abraham trusting God. He's being tested as to whether his actions prove he trusts God. And James 2.17, which links us back to Abraham's faith, tells us exactly what Abraham's faith looked like. James 2.17 says, you might know this one, faith without works is dead. Faith without works, proving that you have a faith, is dead. So if you go on into chapter 2, verse 21, it says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous? For when he did what he, off, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar, he's considered righteous for what he did. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now, we are saved by grace through faith alone. But because of the saving faith of God, we are doing things for him and in his name. It's what Martin Luther said. We are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. What does that mean? It's accompanied by works that prove that I've been saved by faith. It's accompanied by the works that say God is the one that I trust. God is the one that I'm following. It's righteous actions are a result of genuine faith. You read in your word over and over again, you'll see that righteous actions in James are not making me saved, but they're a result of the saving grace and faith in Christ. They're genuine faith provers. What we do is a result of what Christ has already done, my friends. That is true. But make no mistake about it. When we understand what Christ has done for us and we receive him and accept him as Savior and Lord, there is plenty for us to do. In his name. Oh, I'm saved. I'm good. Oh, no, 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 no. There is going to be plenty of things for us to do in this earth that proves that we are who we say we are and we live by faith and not by sight in the faithful God. That's how we live our lives as Christians. And then notice in verse 5 how he frames what is about to take place. Abraham, that is. He says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Again, I want you to notice that Abraham's faith has been perfected by the painful lessons of his past. Again, I'll say this a minute, like I did a minute ago. Don't you want the painful lessons of your past to inform and perfect your faith in the present? 
I don't like going through painful things for no reason. I don't like to go through difficulties and trials and pain like you will go through in this earth. I don't like going through those things and not having them change my heart, change my life, renew my mind, strengthen my faith. And that's exactly what's happened to Abraham. He's been perfected by the painful lessons of his past. The man had been changed through the events of his past. He's grown in his faith in a faithful God that was faithful to him even when he and Sarah were faithless. And so he says, we're going to worship. And then what does he say? And we, me and the boy, we're coming back. That's what he's saying. We're going to worship. And he knows what God's asking to do. But his faith says, and we are also coming back. What would have once caused Abraham to worry, now caused Abraham to worship. See, that's a question I would ask all of us today. How do you know if you're growing in your faith in Jesus Christ? Well, the things that once caused you to worry, now cause you to worship. Doesn't mean that the things change. It just means that I know that me worrying about it, as the scripture says, isn't going to change a thing. It's not going to make anything different. It's just going to make me become more gray-headed and lose more hair, which I do every day. Except the hairs start growing in places that I wish the hairs wouldn't grow. Like, why does it go from my head to my nose, you know? Or why does it go from my head to my eyebrows or my back? Oh, this is just a guy problem, I guess. All right, okay. Sorry. Didn't mean to get so personal with you. But the word worship, like he's not worrying right now, he's worshiping. And the word worship is the Hebrew word shakah. What does it mean? It means to bow down low, humbly before God, to humble yourself. In the past, Abraham would have prided himself in his own strength and his own power and all of his money and his resources and the things that he had. He'd have manipulated the situation. He'd have lied. He'd done the things that he did in the past. But now he doesn't take matters into his own hands. Now he worshiped through the worst trial of his life. This was by far the worst thing that he'd been through. He then humbly obeyed God, even though it didn't make a lick of sense. And at the same time, he believed that he was coming back with Isaac because he believed the Lord, who was a provider, would provide a sacrifice other than his son. That was faith, knowing that God would resurrect Isaac if he had to. Abraham had faith that God would keep his promise, that this was the son of promise, no matter what. And something I want us to see that I believe made this possible is a lesson of faith and worship that is linked together. Faith worships God even when we don't understand. You know why I love coming to worship corporately every single Sunday? You know why I give it my all? You know why I just sing and I sing no matter what's going on in my life? Because faith worships God even when I don't understand what's going on. Do you know how many times I haven't understood what's going on? A lot. A lot. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why we're going through this. I don't know why we're dealing with this. I don't understand why they're doing this. And yet, I know this, when I come and I worship God, I may not know how God is going to come through, but when I begin to worship God, I become more confident in who he is and what he has done in the past and what he will do in the future. You don't know how God's going to come through, but you do know this, if you know him, that's why it's important that we know him and we know his name, we know he's a provider, we know that he sees us, and if we know who he is and we know what he's done according to his word and we know what he's promised according to his word, it doesn't matter how he's going to do it. He just will. He will. So we worship in faith. 
This is what I mean when I say good theology informs good actions. Knowing who God is informs how I worship him, no matter what's going on. That's why people will look at you sometimes, maybe, maybe they do, and you're worshiping, they're like, man, I know what's going on in your life. Are you faking it? No, I just know who God is. And I know what he said he's going to do. I don't know how it's going to happen, but that's not for me to figure out. I'm just going to obey. I'm going to trust and I'm going to worship in faith. That's why the songs that we just sang, like Yahweh, and, and I, I'm singing about a breakthrough, right? I know a breakthrough is coming. I'm just going to keep singing until it does. And it will. This is what we need to do, knowing God so we can worship him for who he truly is. What we know about God informs what we believe about God and subsequently what you will be willing to do for God. Take a risk. Faith is acting on your belief that God is good and you can trust him even when your circumstances do not make any sense and even when they're not good or even in this situation, maybe your circumstances are horrible, horrific, but I'm convinced that one of the many ways to not waver in your faith is to worship in faith. Do not waver in fear, but worship in faith and you'll trust in God more. Faith in God in the middle of your worst fears. In worship, what, why does that happen? Because in worship, we begin to exalt God into his rightful place. Not that he moved, but in our eyes, he sometimes does. So we begin to elevate him in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own eyes, to the rightful place that he has. No matter what we're going through, we begin to say, God, the veracity of Scripture, the truth of your word is more real than my experience. That's hard to say. Doesn't mean my experience isn't real it just means that it's not done and God's still at work so I declare who God is according to his word no matter what I'm going through it's putting more faith in him than myself worship is exalting God above my current circumstances above my pain above my doubts above my fears above my questions and even above the apparent loss of an answer that he's given me which is exactly what happened to Abraham that was the case for Abraham because Isaac was the answer to their prayers, the answer to the promise that God had given them. And yet Abraham was willing to worship God and sacrifice it all in order to obey God, his heavenly father. And worship is the only thing that will cause you to have a faith like that and to be able to persevere like that. The only thing. How do I know? Because that's how I've lived my life. When I've, and I've said this time and time again, when I know I have nowhere else and I know where else to go, I just go worship God. Sit down at the piano, take a walk, get in my car, whatever it is, and I just begin to sing. And it doesn't matter, you'll hear me say this again, it doesn't matter if you're a singer or not, the day that Jesus saved you, you became a singer. Doesn't matter how you sing, just sing. How do we worship God like this? As I said, we worship in faith. When everything, everything seems to be falling apart, we worship in faith. Worship isn't based on our circumstances. Worship isn't even based on the answer to our prayers or the receiving of a promise. Worship is based on who God is. He's the object of our worship, who his word says that he is. Faith believes in and worships God in every season of life, not just on the mountain, but also in the valley, especially in the storms, because that's where God is going to form you the most. 
Where else do we go in those moments? As I said, we go to God and we worship and exalt his name with eyes of faith. We lift our eyes above the things that we see and we look to God who is above and beyond the things that we see. We lift our eyes and our hearts to a God who is above our emotions and what we feel like because I don't always feel like worshiping and yet I do by faith. We see what is promised rather than what is present. This is exactly what Abraham had to do. What was present was him having to take his son and sacrifice him. But what he knew God had promised was that this was the heir of promise and that he was going to provide. So we worshiped God in faith based on God's promises instead of his present situation. And why I think about the psalm, right, that God is an ever-present help in time of need. So a question I have to ask, and it's a little bit of rhetorical, maybe a loaded question. Are you willing to go through whatever God leads you through in order to receive the promise that God has for you? That's a hard question to answer. Now, our Christian answer would be, oh, absolutely, brother. Yes, I would. By faith. Well, that's it. That's by faith. Because most of us don't like pain, don't like difficulty, don't like not seeing how things are going to turn out. And yet, that's the places that God's going to take us on the way to receiving the promise that he has for us many times. It's like, remember my wife, Carla, teaching at a campus conference a couple years ago. It's like, if you were to see the syllabus of your life before you ever lived it, would you still take the course? If you were to see all the things that you were going to go through, and for some of you, you're, you're young right now and you have no way to, but what if you could? Some of you have seen a lot. It's like, man, if I had to do this all over again, I wouldn't have gone through this. Wouldn't have had the loss of my wife. I wouldn't have had the, this sickness. I wouldn't have had the loss of that child. I wouldn't have had whatever, all the pain and the difficulty that we go through. I, I wouldn't have signed up for this course. And yet, God's saying, if you're willing to go through what I lead you through, you will receive everything that I have promised you by faith. That's what we're called to do as Christians. It's not a blind faith either. We live by faith, not by sight. But it's not a blind faith. What do I mean by that? Because we know God's name. This is what I mean by knowing God's name. We know his character. We know that he's faithful. And so much so that we don't have a blind faith. We have an anchored faith in knowing who God is. Faith is acting on your belief that God is good and that you can trust him even when it seems to not make sense. Abraham had been tested and found wanting in the past. But now his faith was different. Let's keep reading the story. Let the tension build. And then we'll close. Abraham, verse 6, took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. Uh, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? That was a tough question, wasn't it? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And he said, here I am. 
He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. There it is again. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That's the name that already alluded to earlier that we're looking at today. That he is the Lord, Jehovah Jireh. Our provider. Check this out. The Hebrew word here translated provide means see or see to it. Remember I said a moment ago that to see Elroy is linked to God providing. That he is also, because he's all these things at the same time. He's not just one of them. He's all of them. He's also Jehovah Jireh at the same time that he is Elroy. He sees and he provides. So provide means to see or to see to it. He's going to see to it that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. John 8 says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and it was glad. Not only did Abraham have a provision, but he was able to see a little bit down the way of what God was trying to do. God gave Abraham a glimpse of Calvary and what it cost the father for his own son to be sacrificed. But the only way that we will experience God as our provider is by faith, to see what God sees, to see his provision. And faith allows us to experience the provision of God. That's what faith does. See, if we lose faith, if we don't have our faith in the one who provides, then we won't go to the places that he leads us. And we won't experience the provision that he has for us there. The destination that he has for you. The provision is at the destination. And if you're like me, you look at that and go, I don't see how you can provide for me over there. I don't see how you can work through that relationship right there. I don't see how, God, you're going to be able to do anything if I go do that. I don't see, God, how you can come through and and make your name famous through my life if I go up that hill and do that thing. But the reality is faith worships God, and then faith trusts God to be the provider and to take me to wherever he wants to take me so that he can give his provision. He had to go up the mountain with, with Isaac in order to have the ram to provide for the sacrifice. If he said, I'm not going, then he wouldn't receive what God had for him. I want you to hear this, my friends, in God's word this morning. It is imperative that we live by faith and not by sight. A faith that is anchored in the word of God. And what we see and what we learn is that God is our provider. And faith not only believes that he is Jehovah Jireh, which is in fact, his awesome name but faith takes us to the place and puts us in a position where we can receive God's provision even if we don't really want to go there let's remember that Abraham was a person just like you and me with struggles and failures mess ups flaws did some really jacked up things and yet the Bible says he became the father of faith Look at Galatians 3. We'll read it. Verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that would be you and me, by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. He's announcing the gospel. That's why there's a type of Jesus. He's announcing the gospel through Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Who wasn't always a man of faith, but who became a man of faith. As he walked toward Moriah with Isaac, Abraham must have felt, I don't know, heartbroken, confused, 
I mean, I've been there. I know you have too. Didn't have the words to express maybe what was going on because he didn't know. He didn't understand all that God was doing. He didn't see yet what God saw. So, right? God saw the provision already. Abraham didn't know that. He didn't know that he was illustrating for me and you today God's sanctifying, justifying faith. He didn't know that he was going to be that story. He didn't know this act would foreshadow the sacrifice of God's only son, a son who would not be spared because he was the provided lamb and sacrifice. He only knew that God knew what he was doing. And sometimes that's where we are. Look, I only know that I know God knows what he's doing. What about this? I don't don't know. But I know God knows what he's doing. And God proved himself faithful to Abraham. And guess what, my friends? He'll prove himself faithful to you. Yeah, I don't know, Pastor Brent. I kind of got doubts about that. That's okay. Maybe you're wondering if God can come through for you. I've wondered that. I've said some prayers, and we're going to talk about this in a couple of, probably next month. I've had some laments. That's worship. Do you know what's happening right where you are right now? Not sure if God's going to come through, but you're trying to, to trust in his goodness and who he is and know him more. You know what's happening in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through? God's perfecting your faith. Just like he did Abraham. He's he's perfecting your faith in this moment. He's not only the author of your faith, as Hebrews says, he is the perfecter and the finisher of your faith. So if you'll let him, he's perfecting your faith right now. Your current circumstances, like them or not, are bringing about righteousness in your life as you put your hope and your trust in a trustworthy God. You're being prepared for a promise that God is going to fulfill. You're persevering towards a promise that God will fulfill. And I know it brings fears, it brings doubts, it brings struggles. Sometimes it brings pain and tears. But even then, ultimately, it's reminds you that you have very little to know control whatsoever, but your hope is in a God who always has control. Amen. (laughs) Faith believes what your eyes say otherwise. God, that's not what I see. That's all right. I'm the God who sees. You will see. But right now you have to have faith and trust. God is faithful even when I'm faithless. So there's that hope. He's still perfecting my faith. And this is one of the many things that we see in Abraham's story. Also, God comes and reassures us that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Just like Abraham. No, you're going to have some sons. That's why he cut a covenant with him. Even after he told him, he's like, well, I'm going to cut a covenant with you and tell you again, you are who I said you are, a father of many. You're going to do what I said you're going to do. The promise is going to happen. The deal is still on. And God does that with you. You just have to listen. And you listen by knowing him and spending time in his word and spending time in worship. And it's when I'm down here sometimes that God reminds me, no, 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 I called you to lead this church. No, I called you to do this in your family. No, I called you to do this. This is who you are. Because the enemy is going to tell you exactly the opposite of who you really are. And it's in that moment where we realize that no matter what it looks like, faith positions us to take us to the mountain, whatever that mountain might be, if you will, and allow us to experience the provision of God. Again, it's faith that causes us to believe that God provided a sacrifice for us on a hill called Calvary many years later. 
It's faith that helps us see that Jesus took our place and he took our sin upon him so that we can now live by faith in Jesus Christ. And probably the most stirring gospel link mentioned in these verses, and then I'll close. Verse 12, 16, and 17 of Genesis 22, God says, Now I know you fear God because you haven't withheld your son, your only son from me. The Apostle Paul echoes that statement in Romans 8, 31 through 39, but he filters it through the cross. This time it's not God speaking, but it's us now being able to say to God, this is what you could say to God. If you belong to Jesus, if you belong to him, Paul's saying you could say this now. Now we know, God, that you truly love us and you're for us, that you would not even withhold your one and only son that you love. You didn't spare him, but you gave him as a sacrifice for me. So now I know I can trust you no matter what I see. That's the good news. That God would provide us shelter against the worst storm that any human could imagine and that's the wrath of God. That God would provide through Jesus victory over the worst enemy and that's death apart from Christ. That God could provide for us freedom and a cure for the worst infection that we could have and that's the sin in our hearts. Now we know that we can live and trust and engage in daily working with and worshiping our Father who will provide everything that you need according to his riches and glory. And you know what he told Abraham? And this is it. He said, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. You know what the church is supposed to be today? A blessing to all the nations. For those that have been bought with the blood of Jesus, we're to shine brightly that God is a faithful God. Till every nation, tribe, and tongue bows before the throne of God and worships him together with us, the church. Man, that's powerful. You just see the promise still being fulfilled through your life. The same promise that God gave Abraham. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.